Welcome to Business Lines State of the Economy podcast where you will find insight analysis and the story behind the numbers Hello I am Aarti Krishnan consulting editor with Business Line and today we are happy to have with us Ms Monica Helen one of India's most respected voices in personal finance and a sought after writer and speaker on the subject she is the founder of Danchakra Financial Education and has made significant contributions to policy making on financial savings and products in India she is currently chairperson of SEBI's advisory committee on the investor protection and education part she is the author of a best selling book less talk money and has recently published its sequel let's talk mutual funds so the subject of today's conversation will be on mutual funds so uh, let's start off right away monica since you recently written this book on mfs and i've been reading it so a young person just starting out on a financial journey she has many simpler choices i mean she has a bank account she can open an fd or an rd there can be a, a fd with some nbfc there can be gold so why should she choose a mutual fund over other options thank you aarti thank you very much for inviting me on the podcast and i have to say i've been a big fan of your work so i'm doubly delighted to be here on this thank with you. you so the question why mutual funds in fact i take that question up in the book very early on to say why is it that this is a product category for a retail investor now the way that i will think of the universe of options before me is to divide it according to asset classes which means the investor should be thinking between debt equity and real assets rather than thinking of products of endowment ulip fd so it's more a training of the mind to see that i need to first figure out my asset allocation which is debt and the first thing that you do is your debt and equity allocation when you start looking at the world of finance through this lens then you realize that it is far easier to construct a portfolio with mutual fund products rather than try and do this with disparate products out there and i'll tell you what i mean by that when you think of choosing between two products we start looking at their attributes we forget that they have a place in the portfolio which should satisfy the portfolio requirement of a debt and equity allocation the mutual fund it's not a goal by itself it's a route to equity debt and real assets and mix of all of these so i would look at this as a pipe that connects your money to the desired asset classes and the uh, divisions within that asset class for your portfolio for example if you are deciding that you want say 60% equity now you know 60% equity is not one product you will right. have to diversify within equity within large small mid cap maybe you might want a foreign allocation for a portfolio size that is large enough again i find that the way that the industry has been structured uh, it is far easier to build a sophisticated portfolio using just mutual fund products right. across debt equity and gold right. so that is one just in terms of fulfilling the needs of a portfolio the other reason of course is for a financial product we have a regulator who's been very proactive in taking the risk of fraud out of the product the disclosures are world standard in india on mutual mm. funds the costing is they have collected all the cost and they've put it in one number which is called expense ratio mm. sebi has removed the upfront loads which encourage 
uh, hard sales and churning, they have removed that front load of two and a quarter percent long back. Well, there has been a whole lot of action under the bonnet right. where expense ratios have been brought down over years, where inter-scheme transfers have been curbed, where a lot of the sharp practices that fund managers get into mm. under the bonnet have been addressed extremely well. So investors sometimes don't understand how much work that a regulator has actually done over decades to make the product retail friendly, which is why I'm saying that for a sophisticated thinking about your money and its future, mm-hmm. it helps understand this product because it solves, it ticks so many boxes. Yeah, that description of yours, that mutual fund should not be viewed as an alternative to uh, some asset classes, but as a, just a pipe that connects you to different asset classes. That is Correct. the key. People will say that, should I buy a mutual fund or should I buy a stock? I mean, huh. apples yes. and oranges. I don't know how to answer that question because mutual <laughs> funds also have debt, also have gold. It's a question which displays a lack of financial literacy about the uh, possible choices out there. Uh, this thing that uh, most investors remember when you talk mutual funds for the first time is that disclaimer, which is rapidly read out on TV, etc. Mutual funds are subject to market risks. So in your book, you talk about the kind of risks that mutual funds do not subject you to. That is important, right? So when yes. you say market risks, people think, seem to think, oh God, that is the only risk I will face and other other assets or other products don't face that risk, but uh, mutual funds will subject me to it. But there are many other kinds of risks, right? And can you name right. some of them? Yeah, Ati, it's a great question because we tend to only look at the volatility, the risk of volatility, mm. which is the risk of price of something going up and down rapidly versus a whole lot of other risk. My biggest risk is the risk of fraud, the risk of right. someone running away with my money. The mm. entire crypto story was a story of fraud, of mm. miscommunication, deliberate lying about mm. the product and what it could do. Money was collected and it was siphoned off and people ran away with it. In its 30 years of history now, we haven't had a single instance of a mutual fund running away with anybody's money. There has mm. never been a vanishing mutual fund. We remember vanishing mm. companies. We know people, mm. the multi marketing schemes, but we've never had a vanishing mutual fund. Funds get sold, they get merged. So for an investor, I would say this is my biggest cloak of safety that Mm. here is a product where no one's going to run away with my money. That's the first one. Second is that the disclosures in this product category are so high. Again, the regulator has worked so hard to ensure that proper disclosures, disclosures which can be understood are made. For example, a whole lot of focus goes on to benchmarking. What is a benchmark? It's the average return that product category gives. So there was a time that the industry could fix whatever they wanted, but then SEBI has put in rules as to what benchmark you can use. Economic theory says that free markets will solve. We find on the ground that free markets don't solve, which is why unfortunately the regulator has gets into very micro regulation. So In terms of risk, then there's also the risk of illiquidity. So real estate as an asset is an illiquid product because it takes you a long time to get into it and it takes you a long time to get out of it and there are large transaction costs. Mutual funds, on the other hand, again, due to regulatory action, you get in debt funds, you almost get your money the next working day. An equity fund takes three working days, which is not bad at all. 
right? Yeah. At no cost of value. For example, if you have a five-year fixed deposit and you want to withdraw in one year, mm. there is a cost to that withdrawal. Absolutely. So you have this risk of illiquidity in many products. Right. And then, of course, the risk of obfuscation, the way that we see in the life insurance industry, mm. uh, you are buying something which is not described to you properly. You don't understand the costs. You don't understand the costs of not continuing with the product. I'm saying mutual funds have some of some categories have something called an exit load. It's not a right. backbreaking cost. For example, in an endowment plan, if you don't fund your second premium, you lose your first premium. You don't get mm. anything. The regulator allows that, you see? Yeah. So it's a regulatory yeah. issue where even after five years of funding an endowment plan, if you don't mm. pay this, you lose half your capital. So we're not we're not even talking of a loss of capital. We are mm. saying there will be a small charge on exit on the NAV within a certain period. Typically for uh, debt funds, it's uh, zero. And for equity funds, uh, it's put at 365 days so that people are encouraged to at least get the right. long-term capital gains tax benefit. These are the sort of risks which people need to think about yeah. rather than just focusing on this volatility of the market. Right. Over the long term, this up and down jagged volatility becomes a nicely smooth upward curve. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. If you look at the Sensex graph from, say, the 90s, it is just an upward moving line. It, uh, you can hardly yeah. see the intermittent uh, blips that it has suffered. And your point about real estate is absolutely spot on that uh, if you want to exit the amount of uh, work it takes, the number of months and you don't even know the price at which you will be able to exit that piece of land or property that you own because that is so subject to the counterparty, what they accept Correct. and things. Correct. Yeah. So all of this goes into the fact that it's a product retail ready for somebody who's dealing in tax paid money, essentially. Yeah. So uh, talking about these regulations, I do agree that SEBI has been a very proactive regulator who's focused a lot on investor protection. Uh, but uh, in recent times, we do we have seen some incidents crop up like uh, Franklin Templeton suddenly announcing the winding up of such debt schemes because uh, some of the securities were illiquid. We've seen this case of the Axis mutual fund dealer front running his fund straight. So uh, is the industry really regulated in a watertight manner and what do you think about these incidents? Arty, there can never be a zero accident <laughs> set of regulations. So even on the roads, you have elaborate systems of traffic control, policemen, but yeah. yet you will have accidents. So nobody can ensure a market where there is no sharpshooter who's running hmm. wild. Okay. And the other part is that I feel that whenever such gaps are brought to the surface, SEBI deals with it very quickly. For example, mm. let's take the Templeton case. Yeah. That brought into focus the fact that the risk in debt funds was not being mapped very clearly. So even on the risk, there's something called a riskometer. Okay. Even on mm. the riskometer, the very high risk funds of the six funds uh, were being labeled uh, low and moderate risk. Right. So SEBI mm. realized at that point that debt funds have it's it's a risk of it's an interest rate risk it's a liquidity mm. risk and it's a credit risk so mm. Templeton's problem was largely a liquidity problem it was mm. not a credit problem it was a liquidity mm. problem so that that entire episode resulted in a very deep dive into 
making that riskometer dynamic. And mm. honestly, I have not seen a riskometer like this anywhere else in the world, which dynamically mm. every month the fund mm. house has to indicate a composite risk score is made up of liquidity, interest rate, and credit, and right. update the Amphi site with its risk noting. Mm. Not only that, every at the end of the financial year, it has to map how many times did this risk score change. So, for example, in a liquid fund, if you see the risk is bouncing up and down many times, you know that this is an unstable fund. And for a liquid fund, I need stability. So part of education, I think, has to happen to investors to say that there was a problem in the market. The regulators mm. found a way of doing better disclosures. Mm. Other than tightening the funds and all of that, what happens financially, mm. we don't know. But in terms of just being able to indicate the risk, especially in the debt fund part of the market, mm-hmm. far more clearly, I think, has been very well done. So, yes, there will always be problems in the market. How is it that the regulator is going to respond, bury its head in the neck like some other regulators do, mm-hmm. or take it by the horns and say, okay, how do we do this so that this accident does not happen again? A regulator can be in denial. I don't see that happening with SEBI. I see them accepting that this has happened. What is it that we can do that this accident is not repeated? So I think in that way, it's a very healthy practice Mm. of getting the markets right. All I can say is accidents will happen. Mm -hmm. Investors need to always look for fund houses and products where this risk is mapped out a little better, that they understand that this fund house, which doesn't get up to some of these things, and then entrust their money. So finally, when you're choosing funds, you're usually left with a set of three to four schemes. Mm. And then it is a subjective <clears throat> picking off a fund house. My suggestion is you be very careful at that moment, because finally, in the last four or five, which are left, there's very little to choose between them. Right. I would look at the pedigree of the fund house to say, mm. have they done in the past? Am I able to trust them? What are the risk management practices in place, which yeah. translates into headlines saying that this fund did this, this fund that did that. Hmm. So accidents will happen. Hmm. This is okay. the market accidents will happen. <laughs> so you've been part of a regulation making for mutual funds for a very long time as a part of the mutual fund advisory committee of SEBI. I think you were there between 2009 and 2021, a really long stint. So one of the most important reforms that happened then was this MF categorization, which aimed yeah. to simplify choice for investors and basically make funds more true to label. And that finds quite an elaborate mention of also. So what I'd like to ask is, uh, even after the categorization, there are 37 uh, categories of schemes that every AMC can launch. So that's still a fairly large menu for a simple first-time investor to choose from. So if I'm just a new investor looking to choose mutual funds, can I make do with just two or three categories and what should they be? It's a great question and I have to tell you a little bit of the story. So this has come out of the MFAC, the advisory committee process. Actually, it was one of my solutions because there were okay. a lot of Me Too schemes. And I remember writing a column in which suggested this and Sebi was uh, alert mm-hmm. enough to pick up the idea and actually implement it. Because I said one fund per bucket, uh, basically allow every fund house to have one scheme per bucket mm-hmm. and you define the bucket so that they're true to label mm-hmm. The thing that you will also realize being part of the MFAC is that there is also an industry out there. 
and they have interests mm. as well. They have been running thousands of crores of AUM. The market is not only there for the new investor, it's also there for the sophisticated investor. Mm. So mm. the argument is why take choice away? Mm. Why is it that you will not allow, say, a credit risk debt fund, which is the credit risk can get very high. For a maybe a more safety-seeking debt fund investor, this is not a right product category. But at a yeah. certain level of wealth, I might want you to want it. So that's the answer that the market and the regulator is not just catering to a new investor. It is catering to every possible investor out there. Therefore, you yeah. see the plethora of this many categories. Hmm. So, you know, hmm. 11 equity, 16 debt, 6 hybrid. Hmm. Again, that is in fact the question I have addressed in the book because it comes down to choice. Uh, my suggestion is you, you first choose your allocation, then you choose the categories, and then you do the hard work of choosing the schemes within the category. This process is not an easy process. Right. We are not in the business of recommending five funds to invest in. That's so insulting <laughs> to the listener, to the viewer, to say here are five funds. Now, like there is no generic diet. It is definitely we spoke to the health issues of each person. Similarly, there isn't a portfolio which is a bespoke portfolio. Other than saying that, look. An index fund on the Sensex or the Nifty 50 mm. is your broad market long-term average return. So the person who doesn't really want to do any work, doesn't want to do, then you just have to choose an index fund and just sit with it, keep funding right. it for the rest of your life. That's for a fill it, shut it, forget it investor. So we can right. say, okay, that's what you can do. But mm. in every other category where you're trying to build a portfolio mm. with funds, active funds, mix of active-passive, that hard work will have to be done of choosing your categories and then right. um, the schemes. Yeah, I do appreciate what you're saying because uh, uh, today we have any number of uh, influencer videos which tell you five stocks that can shoot out the lights and three funds which can make you a billionaire, etc. And finance is really not that simple, really. It, it has to be very personalized and customized. No, and there is no... Who knows what the market will do tomorrow? I can never predict... Yeah. We know the signals of a recession. We know the signals mm. of growth at 7%. Those seem right. to signal that the markets will do well. But, you know, you can have a global calamity soon and then the markets will tank. So it's very, very scary mm. to predict markets even with a three or a five-year horizon. I would say mm. that seven to ten years is where I begin to say yes. I think nah. you can say that you will get GDP plus inflation plus mm. equity return okay if there's a formula then that is the formula long term this is what you could possibly on an average should be getting so recently one major change that has happened is that uh, the tax uh, uh, indexation benefits given to debt funds have been taken away and uh, traditionally debt funds have been favored by institutions and corporate treasuries along with retail investors so with this uh, tax part going away, is there still a case for retail investors to invest in debt funds? So, uh, and are there situations where they should go for the simple FD or something over debt funds? Right. So you choose a fixed deposit when you don't understand debt funds. Hmm. So people who don't understand mutual funds should actually come to debt after they've understood equity because debt hmm. funds risk can be, uh, you think it's a, zero risk product it is not so it's far yeah. more harmful for you to recover from losses in the short term than in the long right. term so the case for debt funds i believe still remains 
because yeah. again like i said investing is not just about the risk of volatility it is also not about the highest return and it's a controversial statement to make because people seem to think that targeting the highest return is the goal mm. of it it is not it is also liquidity it is also the certainty that the money is going to be there when i mm. need it it is also mm. the ease of entry and exit so i think the case for debt funds still remains whatever the tax impact uh, once you have built the pipelines between your bank and the platform that you invest through mm. it literally takes 30 seconds for you to make a transaction once you get proficient at it yeah so you can do the ft but mm. unbinding an ft makes you lose a lot of interest so even the two in one fts they portray it to be this great product but it isn't one additional thing is that Uh, the industry actually has innovated very smartly and they have built products like a sip swp a systematic investment mm. plan withdrawal plan now what is an sip you park money in the debt fund of a mutual fund and from that debt it goes to equity at regular intervals for a predetermined amount right and an swp is the reverse of that that possibly from an equity fund you're funding you could be funding a debt fund for use maybe Three months later, it can of course come and sit in your bank account, but you could also start collecting it in a debt fund. So the pipelines are built between equity and debt funds of the same fund house. So especially when you want to use such products, where you're parking money uh, in a lump sum in a debt fund, and there is a, a systematic transfer plan, for example, mm. which is happening, then these the debt funds utility becomes even more obvious. Yeah. So I think. once investors figure the different options out using debt funds becomes far easier right. as compared to parking money in a fixed deposit not right. for a moment am i saying that fts are bad i say again and again if you don't understand debt funds there is absolutely no shame in being in a fixed deposit don't let anyone shame you right uh, these are great tested products stay with a large commercial bank uh, don't go for the cooperative banks I mean, yeah. all banks are safe, but you know these too big to fail banks are really very, very safe. So that, so I, I think the the case for debt funds remains despite the tax benefit being taken away. Arthi. So I just want to ask you about your own portfolio. So I'm sure a good bit of it is in mutual funds. So uh, broadly, how do you uh, approach selecting the funds and the allocation, and also how do you accommodate alternative assets like real estate or say uh, high yield debt into your portfolio? I mean, outside of the mutual funds. Arthi, I invest in exactly the way that I write in the book, both Let's Talk mm. Money and Let's Talk Mutual Funds. Okay. I actually in, uh, experiment on myself before I write the books, <laughs> and exactly what I say that the one piece of real estate is the house that we live in. I have zero real estate beyond that. I don't like it as an asset at all because mm. of one the cash component, the transaction time, cost. Uh, real estate as investment has very low yield. It's about a yeah. percent and a half to two percent on residential. Right. Plus, there is the people don't understand their costs of maintaining uh, mm. the real estate asset, uh, and there's this whole headache of maintaining a tenant's uh, demands of this Definitely. is not that you know. So money is not just about the highest return. I go on saying it is also <laughs> about peace of mind. I don't like having real estate, so I have the one house fully owned where we live, 
plus the entire assets are in mutual funds there is no other asset mm. there might be some old fixed deposit still lying you know literally yeah. just for an emergency you put that aside mm. for this doomsday when everything fails you have <laughs> you buy, yeah you know like covid happened and everything freezes so mm. you might want to this is like really your uh, doomsday purpose but other mm. than that everything nine, mm. 99.9% is in <laughs> I have my own allocations which I don't want to share right. because uh, my risk appetite is far higher because I know the products so therefore I dislike telling my allocation I'm able to understand risk of these products therefore I'm able to build a fairly high risk portfolio mm-hmm. that might not be the answer for most of your so thank you so much uh, monica for being with us on this podcast and you shared a lot of interesting insights about how a person can go about choosing mutual funds thank you listeners for tuning into bls soe podcast 